Hi, I'm Neville J. McKenzie, and you're listening to Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. You're about to hear the seventh in the series of 15 episodes that were created for the Entrepreneurs Asia website, the magazine website founded and created by my colleague Max Henry. In the first cast, I gave you a brief background to the series. I hope that you find the series interesting and informative. As you continue to listen to the series, please visit my website at asiabizstories.com. That's asiabizstories.com. And please leave any comments or suggestions. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's interview is with Anna Kunatsova. Anna is a Russian national and has been living and working in Asia since 2007. She is an art historian and specialist in the art business, a vice president at the Russian Federation of Artists, where she covers Asian region liaisons. She also works as an arts consultant with a speciality in art collection management for private and public art collections, where she focuses on increasing the value of the collection and individual works. Currently, she works with Russian and Chinese clients and as a pioneer in Asia is identifying new opportunities with plans to open up into new markets. So it is with great pleasure that we are able to discuss with Anna her work and involvement with some of the developments that are occurring in and around the Asian arts markets and the rest of the world. Anna, thank you for allowing me to break into your busy schedule and interview you. Um, can you just introduce yourself? Uh, thank you, Neville. It's, uh, I, I feel very honored to uh, be invited to one of your interviews. Your podcasts are very professional and I feel um, uh, quite happy to be contributing to your, um, to your project. Uh, yeah, so I'm an art professional. Um, I'm a vice president of Russian Union of Artists that holds about 15,000 artists across Russia. And uh, I'm also an art consultant and art collection manager, both private and public collections. So how did you establish yourself as an art consultant? Well, it's been a long way. I've actually done quite a few entrepreneurial projects in the past, but I came to realize that uh, my passion lays in art area. And this is what I would love to do with my future. So I invested quite a long time into um, professional degrees. I hold art historical degree from Mansfield University and uh, art business degree from Sotheby's Institute of Art, both of which uh, are absolutely amazing uh, contributions to my professional establishment and esteem. Uh, so with that knowledge and... Uh, personal connections and aspirations, I have made my way through. Do you think if you hadn't done the educational side, you would have been able to establish yourself as an art professional? 
Actually, a lot of people uh, that find themselves working in art do that without necessarily building up the professional side of it. They don't necessarily graduate from art institutes. However, I found it immensely important and interesting. Why was that? Well, the knowledge is just so immense without uh, understanding in depth all the peculiarities of art business, for instance. It's very difficult to uh, establish your, your business professionally. This is why a lot of galleries, especially in developing countries, are still uh, lacking the professionalism that uh, well, that is mainly um, spread across Western world. How does your work in Asia and Russia differ? Well, first of all, um, let's say I have, um, I have had an opportunity to establish myself in Russia due to initial contacts, uh, due to the fact that I am Russian, in fact, and uh, I've been developing contacts for a while, and art world in itself is... Uh, it's just uh, the place where you do need to have connections, you do need to have a personal reputation uh, before you can start working as an entrepreneur in this particular sphere. So, however, I did choose a totally different route uh, when I came to explore Chinese market. And uh, this is one of the things I would like to share because I think this would be quite beneficial for any entrepreneurs, not only in art sphere, but in any other sphere, to explore this particular way, perhaps, if they find it interesting. So uh, when I came to China, I've decided that I should be uh, developing a project that will speak um, by itself and it will provide me with enough uh, contacts immediately, right off the start, um, in the area where I basically knew nobody. Uh, and as I mentioned before, without contacts in, in art world, it's really hard to proceed. So um, when you talk about an international projects, even in your own home country, uh, no matter what it is, it already draws attention. So with this attention, I involved um quite renowned art institution in Russia and proposed to do big project in China. Um, with this approach, I have um, immediately acquired additional contacts in Russia, uh, quite well established and reputable. And um, with uh, such ground, uh, presenting yourself in China was quite an easy task. Plus, I always involve uh, those additional organizations that usually are overlooked by professionals, such as um, our Chamber of Commerces. This is uh, one route to immediately get to know everybody. Can you give us an example of any of the other organizations that you got involved on the Russian side? Well, I mainly work with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and uh, with cultural um, offices 
uh, every country, basically, well, not every country, but most of the countries have their uh, cultural representative offices. They work either direct, uh, directly with embassies or they work separately, but their agenda is mainly to promote uh, culture of certain country, of their country, in a foreign land. So, basically, if you are bringing a project to them that involves promoting your art, in that country, such as in my case, was promoting Russian art in China. Uh, that fulfills their agenda, and they're more likely to help. And uh, their help is quite extensive because um, our embassies usually know quite a bit of a business area and cultural area. They're always really involved in uh, cultural events and uh, get the, uh, and do know a lot of contacts. So. Uh, running a project of a um, global scale and involving governmental organization is always a major help in establishing yourself almost immediately. So what do you think of the Asian art market? Well, uh, Asian art, art market is not a secret. It's been developing rapidly. In fact, it's been showing unprecedented development over the last I would say uh, five to seven years. Do you think it could be overheating? Um, it could be slightly overheating, that's right, but uh, it hasn't reached uh, quite the potential of the Western art. So in that sense, um, it's really difficult to say if this is um, if this is something to achieve and go beyond, or uh, should it have some sort of a breakpoint before that kind of a benchmark. And if it is overheating, what signs would indicate? Well, there's been a lot of um, analysis and viewpoints going on in terms of art market and its development, because in the course of the last years, all across the world, the art market has been showing really positive, really good results. And despite some uh, low points, they aren't going actually quite as low as the rest of the markets in different other areas. So, Are you talking about art as an investment? Um, well, yes, of course, when you talk about art market, there's always an investment yeah. part involved in it. Yeah, yeah. So certainly it is, yes, it, it is an art trade, an art market, yes. It's partially an investment and it's overall the uh, volume and the value of the art market per year. This is what we're looking at. So is that increasing or is it? Decreasing. Well, it's been increasing, but it, again, it's, it all has to be calculated properly because you have to take into in consideration the inflation rates in different countries, break it down uh, to local markets and see how they behave. Some countries obviously are lacking. For instance, the Russian art market has been uh, not performing quite well over the last years and even before. It's it's one of the more difficult and small markets for art. Is that Russian artists or is that just generally Russians buying art? Well, I would say both. Oh. 
Yeah. Russian artists, uh, of course, they still exist, but uh, there's only a few proportion of them that have made themselves uh, ways into the global art market. And the uh, main point in here should be made uh, in terms of them being slightly disorganized in the sense that uh, they're not emerging as a group or as a tendency or as a trend. They are emerging one by one. And that makes the movement slightly less effective. Uh, while, let's say, a Chinese artists uh, emerged as a, uh, let's say, new wave um, about uh, 15 years ago. And uh, ever since, they've been gaining more and more attention. So you say as a, as a group, the Chinese artists are moving forward, whereas in Russia... They're moving forward as individuals. Yes, yeah. currently it is true. However, uh, there are trends to organize them, but we're not sure when they will show an effective strategy. When we will show the, we will see the result. So you're saying a Chinese artist is more likely to be successful than a Russian artist of the same ability or same quality or. Well, it's hard to speak about qualities in art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say they're, they, they're unique and individual. And um, uh, in terms of performance, yes, the Chinese art is performing better than Russian art currently. If you take a, a look uh, from a global viewpoint. And, uh, but that also opens up a gateway, a gateway to, um, exploration of this market whoever wants to start uh, working on russian art market today invests enough effort and finances in it will be able to have better results because uh, let's say chinese market currently is uh, getting saturated while russian market is underdeveloped so whoever would like to uh, take advantage of that will surely be able to do so. So you say the Chinese market being saturated. How? In what way saturated? Do you mean there's too much art or there are too many artists? No, there's never too much art or too many artists. <laughs> no, it's just when they are achieving certain, um, certain price margin. Uh, when the growth uh, uh, is no longer exponential. Uh, this is when you can start thinking that probably if you buy in with uh, the art within the next couple of years, how of how much will the price grow? It will not be able to grow that much or that fast. Of course, there are individual cases that will always break the rules, but I'm talking about uh, the median right now. So in that sense, um, currently. Russian art still holds a lot of potential, but again, with uh, some investment of effort and work globally. Now, notice there are a few foreign artists working in China and in Asia in general. Um, how do they achieve success or is there anything that holds them back because they're not from the culture? Because the two cultures are very different. And how do they relate their art to the new culture that they're in? Well, I would say this is a um, low-end art market. 
and uh, those artists, the foreign artists that currently work in Asia, um, some of them are just inspired by Chinese art in general, Chinese history and culture, and they're trying to produce some some something similar, um, some art that. Uh, is a transition from the Western into the Eastern mentality that usually doesn't quite appeal to Chinese audience. So they mainly work um, alone and they they don't sell that well. They they pretty much struggle. Although I understand completely why they do so, because art is always a passion and no matter what, there is market or there is no market, they would still do it. So it's basically an inspiration and it doesn't hold that much of a market share. Um, another case is well-established Western artists that don't work in China necessarily. They work in the West, but they're being sold in China. Um, their proportion is still quite small. However, um, they're gaining more and more reputation among advanced Chinese collectors. So if we go back to um, relationship and uh, trust building, how big a part does that play in in Asian markets? Well, I would say across the entire world, this is probably one of the most important parts of the art business in general, and certainly in Asia, maybe even more so. Um, establishing a trust, especially establishing trust between, let's say, a Western consultant and Asian uh, art collector is a crucial thing. Um, and uh, still, there aren't so many of those cases, so there's a, a, a big field to explore in this sense. So you tend to, I believe, work alone, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I work alone and I usually hire specialists for um, special occasions. Um, in my work as an art consultant and uh, collection manager, I tend to uh, appeal to individual cases and see what exactly individual case needs. Uh, an art collector usually has a diverse collection that needs a lot of attention and um, building up, let's say, a pool of employees will not be very beneficial in my case because I prefer getting specialists that would exactly fit within a collection of a certain client. So what would those specialists be, specialists in? Okay, well, there are specialists down to the point of certain artists. There might be one artist matching to one specialist or a pool of specialists from which you can choose someone to collaborate on a, on a project. Since my job is project-based, I usually tend to hire specialists exactly, specifically for the project. This way, the quality of my services are rising because I don't keep specialists um, at the office who would be... Uh, working on in multiple dimensions in many directions without really specializing on something on somebody specific i mean uh, on certain artists specifically uh, and um, 
this IC as an advantage and I also see it as one of the ways that currently the business is being run across the world because it's a uh, not that profitable to uh, to keep a large pool of employees anymore so how would uh, how would somebody become a specialist and is does a specialist have to study the artist does a specialist have to be from the same culture no they don't have to be from the same culture obviously uh, studying art is a uh, is a must i would say certainly you can be a specialist but then again um, it's important to understand what kind of specialist you'd like to be um, I know a few cases where people are just interested in art and they're very well connected. So they tend to become uh, art dealers just because of their passion, but they don't necessarily hold a degree in art. This is one way to do it. But if you'd like to write professional essays and do research work, that certainly needs a specialty. So a specialist is a full-time job or is it a part-time job? Oh, it's the way you want it to be. So it can be, it can be anything. You, you absolutely. Yes. Oh, I've never heard of a specialist in that in that way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. So, um, what advice would you give somebody just starting out as an entrepreneur in the art industry? Um, well, there are two ways uh, one can establish uh, themselves. Um, obviously. A few years in professional area working in a gallery or in the museum would, would help given the education, of course. Um, did you work in a gallery? I worked not necessarily in the gallery. I worked with galleries. With galleries. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because I've always been, uh, the type of entrepreneur that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work uh, long hours at the office. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more of a um, connecting people and uh, establishing projects. So would you say there's so, a lot of room for people like you or is it, do you have to have a special quality? Uh, well, I would say being an art entrepreneur holds all the properties of any entrepreneur. So you have to have the well-established communication skills, you have to be able to organize yourself and others. You have to be able to plan, plan long-term and short-term projects. You have to be able to close the projects and inspire people to open projects with you. You should be able to find your and build up your team, inspire people to be part of, uh, of what you do and uh, not, not just to hire them and watch them work, but to, to see if they're passionately involved in something that you're doing. For art area, I would say this, this is crucially important. Yeah. I'd say most of the people listening to this, they th when they think of an entrepreneur, they think of an entrepreneur in the high-tech industry, um, creating an app, creating uh, software. Uh, but your type of entrepreneur is very different. So, but you still think that the skills that you have transfer to across the board? Well, because I come from the area from, of many entrepreneurial projects, I, I must admit that yes, of course, art entrepreneurship is just the same as any other entrepreneurship. But, um, 
it does require a professional appeal. You cannot uh, position yourself as an art entrepreneur without a specific uh, knowledge in art. Um, but basically, I would say there are a lot of projects in art that use the same structure and the same approach as any other projects, such as those projects that I mentioned at the beginning when um, you uh, work with um, international content, uh, when you try to organize uh, a project between the two countries or several countries and uh, scale and scope of the project. This this um, works pretty much on the same route as, as anything else, although there are a lot of specialty features involved and uh, very specialized, especially if you're working with the museum. There are, um, immense, there is immense amount of... Are museums rules. difficult to work with? Oh, or? I would say so, yes. Yeah, I why would, would that be? Uh, museums require... Well, museums are usually really conservative all across the globe. Yeah. They're slightly more flexible here in China. This is why probably my first project was going quite smoothly because they were quite open. There's a, a plenty of new museums in China. Some of them are well-established. Some of them are just starting and lacking the content. And actually, this is um, one of the... Uh, things that should be probably explored a little bit more because uh, I don't see enough uh, Western, and not necessarily just Western, but from all across the globe, galleries making their way into Asia, into those vacant museums that are standing all across the country now being built and lacking the content. I mean, this is a good opportunity for everybody to explore Chinese market. Just start a project with the, one of the Chinese museums, either private or public. I mean, Western art being exhibited in Asia, in yeah. China. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why yeah. not? Yeah. And what what makes Chinese museums less conservative than their Western counterpart? Well, probably because they recently have picked up and there is a large amount of them and they uh, lack the content. They, they really need, they're looking forward to see new art on their walls and uh, they need to fill in uh, with temporary exhibitions and with permanent exhibitions. But in terms of permanent exhibitions, the li uh, art acquisition in China is, um, is, well, it's a special topic, but currently... Uh, due to the high levels of expenditure on building process, there's not enough finances to uh, acquire the art itself. So sometimes we see the cases where the museum has been built, but there is really not much art to exhibit in it. Uh, sometimes the situation is quite different. Museums are built already for the collection that's been previously acquired. In that case, of course, there's more body of work to exhibit. So there's um, there is a big space for Western art to be exhibited. So there, there is an audience. Yeah, there, uh, I wouldn't say there is an audience because um, the audience in China still has to be educated uh, and still is in the process of opening up to international content. Uh, but there is a lot of space to explore this opportunity. It's a process. So an education process um, before 
or would that be during the arts being exhibited? Uh, I, I would say both. Both. <laughs> of course. Okay. So I, before I, I did ask you, what would you advise somebody entering the art market as an entrepreneur? So yeah, I, I was trying to answer this, but I guess I didn't reveal the entire topic. Yeah, because I think I yeah. distracted you. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, entering Chinese market, uh, as I did with the project, was very successful. And I certainly advise people to follow my way. But there's also many other ways you could explore. Uh, just arriving here and trying to make contact, seeing how the galleries work, what uh, collectors are doing, what art they're collecting. It requires uh, some, some time to be spent here, obviously. And it requires some knowledge of the uh, national mentality here in China, because it's quite different from the rest of the world. Uh, national identity in China is really strong and uh, whoever comes here with the project should at least have a basic idea of how things work here and um, how people's mentality work works. But uh, I don't think uh, there is anything scary about the market. It's pretty open and it's open for new ideas, open for new projects. Um, Chinese galleries are willingly going for the contacts and for the projects as well as uh, governmental institutions. So I would say the entire atmosphere is quite welcoming. And any particular cities? We, we've all heard of Shanghai, Beijing. Are there any other cities? Uh, yes, I would say uh, in Shanghai and Beijing are slightly oversaturated right now, but still there is space for art projects. There is also art projects um, in uh, regional centers. Uh, I'm not so sure how successful they would be from the commercial perspective because this is what we were talking about, about education, educating um, uh, potential clients, potential collectors. Um, in regions that probably wouldn't be so successful currently, but um, any non-commercial projects would uh, would be quite interesting for yeah. the regions. And uh, using non-commercial projects to enter uh, the, the scene and establish some practice is a, a good beginning as well. Okay. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Well, there's information on the webpage of our Union of Artists. And I, um, there's a, always an email. I yeah. hope it will be displayed on your webpage. I will gladly answer the questions. Okay, Anna, thanks for giving me the time to interview you and break into your busy schedule. I know you're very busy and you'll be flying off later this evening. So I'm wishing you all the best and hope to be in touch with you in the near future to speak to you again. Thank you, Neville. Thank you. It's been great to contribute to your page. Thank you. The URL for the Russian Federation of Artists is tcxp.ru. Anna can be contacted on annaik at gmail.com. Once again, annaik at gmail.com. That was Anna Kuznetsova, a Vice President at the Russian Federation of Artists and Arts Consultant.
We hope that you enjoyed the interview as much as we did making it. Anna gave us insights into the opportunities and developments occurring in emerging art markets in Asia, in particular the Chinese market. How arts entrepreneurs can create new opportunities in these markets through education and some advice to just starting out entrepreneurs in any field. This is Neville J. McKenzie ending the 7th AsiaBusinessStories.com's interview, Entrepreneurs in Action. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.